Now, now there, there's all types of signs uh, that, that point to the Christmas season starting. Uh, what are some of the first signs that makes you aware that Christmas is here? Like, it's beginning. Halloween's over. All right, and then you're like, Christmas, it's Christmas time. And it's actually kind of true, either right after Halloween or, or, or maybe even before Halloween, though, you go into Lowe's and what do you see? You see all these like Christmas trees, all these artificial trees already out. And you're like, is it happening already? Is it happening? But then uh, they have the seasonal aisles in the stores that have all the stuff. And maybe that's the first sign for you that, hey, Christmas is coming. Maybe it's the trees. I love Christmas trees. We're kind of the traditional uh, at my house after Thanksgiving. So the Friday, just the day after Thanksgiving, uh, my family, we go and we pick out a tree, a real tree, of course, because real tree people are Jesus loving people. And so the real tree and, and anyways. <laughs> Anyway, so we go pick out a tree, we put it up, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Maybe it's the lights, or the parties, or the sale catalogs, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, all those things. Um, or maybe for you, it's like the tree-shaped candy. You're like, now I know it's Christmas, because the candy changed from pumpkin-shaped to tree-shaped. And um, the, the point is that, you know, there's signs just in our culture, that begin to let us know, point us to the fact that Christmas is coming. And, um, and in the Bible, there's all types of signs that point us to the fact that um, a Messiah is coming, that Jesus is coming. And to this series, I want to look at some of those signs in the Christmas story. So we are kind of have been going through the Gospel of John for the majority of this year, and we'll pick it back up next year. But... Um, but for this Christmas season, I want us to focus in on the Christmas story. It's kind of like, um, you know, the Christmas story is one of those that we can spend three or four weeks on every year because the birth of Jesus is like a diamond. And, uh, and you can just keep looking at it from different angles and seeing something more beautiful. We can gaze into it for a lifetime and never fully appreciate all that it has for us. And so we're going to look at some of the signs in the Christmas story signs like um, the manger and the swaddling clothes. Like what is what do those mean? Um, the uh, a virgin birth. What is what is that about? The gifts that the wise men brought or really today we're going to look at the star of Bethlehem and the significance of the star of Bethlehem. And so I want us to read the passage today, which is going to be in Matthew chapter two. Uh, verse 1 through 12. I want us to read this and, uh, and we will pray and jump right in. So um, are you in Matthew 2? I didn't give you much time. I should have given you a warning. We're going to be Matthew 2, uh, verse 1 through 12. Here's what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for 
From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he had sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you've gathered us together today um, in your house with your people uh, around your word and that your presence is here moving and working. Lord, I thank you that you came, that you um, came, saw us in the mess that we've made of the world and and you came to rescue us in Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've given us time in this season um, to gaze into the beauty of your coming to earth. And Lord, I pray that you'd teach us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we study this passage today, that you'd lead me and guide me in my words, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored, that we would be edified and encouraged and challenged and strengthened in your word today. So come have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you've been around here, today's going to be a little bit different than usual because uh, my pattern of preaching is I'll take some verses and then have a point, and then we'll have some more verses and another point, and some more verses and another point. And so today is going to be different because what we're going to do is we're going to just walk through the text and uh, do you know explain. I'm going to explain the passage, and um, which is a pretty familiar passage if you've uh, been around church at any time around Christmas, but. I'm going to explain the passage at the first half of the sermon, and then the second half of the sermon we'll get a couple of application points. So, so let's just kind of walk through it um, verse by verse again. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, now he was born in Bethlehem because a census had been taken and his parents had to travel to their hometown, uh, or, or Joseph's hometown, Bethlehem. And you, you know the whole manger scene that, that happened already. So he was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where, was he, uh, where who is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And so first we see that this is in the days of Herod the king, when Herod was the king. Um, maybe you know Herod as Herod the Great. Um, that's what he was uh, called. And, um, but the problem is that he was not all that great. I mean, he was great in some aspects. He uh, was a master builder. He actually led the project to restore and rebuild the temple uh, of God. He um, built nice cities and big theaters. Like, he was a master builder. If you were uh, under the rule of King Herod, the things around you would be getting better. Uh, but life wouldn't necessarily getting better. He was a great administrator and obviously a great politician in the sense that he was able to stay in office for a long time, but he was not a great person. He was actually ruthless. Um, he, uh, he imposed high taxes on, 
on his people. How many of you hate taxes, right? Yeah, well, he, he kind of he raised the taxes, um, but he was more than just <clears throat> offered tax hikes. He would just kill people. He was so uh, paranoid and jealous for his throne that he would just kill anybody who threatened his throne. He killed his own wife. He had his sons killed. I mean, he was just uh, tyrannical. And um, so the some said about him that it, it was safer to be a pet in the palace of Herod than to be one of his own sons. So although he's called great, he wasn't all that great. And uh, he was even called king of the Jews. I mean, he was king at the time over the Jews. Now, he wasn't born to be king. He didn't have the lineage or the genealogy of a king like Jesus had. He, he wasn't even elected king by their people. Um, God didn't choose him to be their king, but um, he was appointed by the rulers of Rome to be king over the Jewish people that they had conquered. So he was considered king of the Jews, which is be interesting that a new king of the Jews is coming in. And then it says that these wise men, at least my translation says that, maybe yours says uh, the Magi. So Magi are these wise men, they came from the east, who are these? Now we have a song about this uh, around this time. It's, we three kings. I don't even know the rest of the song. Okay, it's an, it's an, I'm sorry to ruin the song for you, but they weren't kings, okay? Or they probably weren't kings, most likely. And, and it probably wasn't even three, okay? So they never told us how many there were. Um, we get three from the idea there's, there were three gifts that are named, but there was probably a lot more than three. People, these wise men would have traveled with an entourage. You can imagine three people show up at the king's door. He'll probably be like, just go away. I don't want to. But if a whole parade of people show up saying we're here to worship the king, the newborn king, that kind of scares uh, the existing king a little bit. And they're from the east. So this is, we're, you know, we're guessing. There's not a whole lot of information about uh, these wise men, but um, they're probably from Persia or Babylon, modern day Iraq. Uh, these were Gentile, non-Jewish people. Um, magi is, is the Greek where we get the word uh, magician, right? They were, um, you know, at one point they referred to priests and experts in mis uh, mysteries like uh, Daniel, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. Actually, Daniel uh, was the, the leader of the wise men in his day. Um, but more generally, this term wise men has, has come to refer to uh, to people who practice astrology and astronomy and people who interpret dreams and study sacred writings and uh, pursue wisdom and pursue magic. They were spiritual people, spiritual people. And they were teachers, especially um, in service to the king. So they were kind of like um, counselors to the king, advisors to the king. They were not kings, but they were king makers. These, this, the wise men would have been people who would go and confirm uh, the royalty of a king. Uh, they were probably influenced by one of the wisest men uh, that lived in Babylon, who is Daniel. And so they probably were exposed to a lot of Jewish writings and Old Testament scriptures uh, from the influence of Daniel as well. 
And so it says these wise men, they came from the east and, uh, and they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. What's up with this star? Um, you know, we're going to talk about the star a little bit more later, but just know this, the star was prophesied um, uh, by Balaam in Numbers 24. You know, remember the story of Balaam? Balaam, um, Balaam was this, you know, pagan prophet, Gentile prophet. Well, he wasn't one of, of the Lord's prophets, but he was hired by the king at the time to curse Israel's people. And uh, you, you remember this story where he's on his way to go and do this, and he's riding his donkey, and his donkey keeps causing him grief at this one point because the donkey sees this invisible angel that Balaam's not seeing. So Balaam ends up like kicking his donkey, and his donkey's like, hey! You remember this story? It's like one of the most bizarre stories in the Bible where the donkey talks to Balaam and it's like, what? Well, cut it out! What have I ever done to you? And there's someone standing in the road, you know? And um, it's just a, go read it. It's in Numbers, Numbers 22 to 24. Um, anyways, he's, Balaam is hired to curse God's people. And when he does, he comes up and all, all the Lord will allow him to do is speak a blessing. You can imagine the guy who hired him, cursed him, and he blesses him. And he's like, what are you doing? That's what happened. And in that blessing was a prophecy about a star. And uh, we see this in Numbers chapter 24, of verse 17, where in this prophecy he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. He's like, this, this star is going to arise that is going to save the people. In Revelation, we hear uh, that Jesus refers to himself as the bright and morning star. And so it was the belief among the Jewish people that there would arise some star that would point to the Messiah. So the fact that these wise men, they see the star and they start following the star. Points to, They had some understanding of these prophecies. Now, you got to understand that the, the, the Bible is not a bunch of disjointed books that are telling a bunch of different stories. That it's all one family story, really. It's all one story, the redemptive story of humanity that, that we failed and God came. And so all of... The Old Testament is pointing to this moment of redemption, is pointing to Jesus. And then all of the New Testament is pointing back to Jesus. And uh, it's really all about Jesus. So, so they see this, and they start following the star. They're like, let's, let's follow the star. Now you got to understand, they kind of dealt in stars and interpreting and listening to the stars and all that kind of stuff, so it wasn't... Super abnormal, but man, what would it take for you to just follow a star on a long journey, wherever it took you? But they knew enough. We, we actually don't know how, how they knew. How did they know that the star was pointing to the king of the Jews? How did they know that? We don't know. Um, later, it talks about how the Lord warned them in a dream. Maybe they had a dream. Maybe they had a dream, or maybe they were looking for this star. Either way, they follow the star. And they say, the star is pointing to the king of the Jews. So they say, hey, hey, 
hey, king, uh, where do we find this uh, king of the Jews that's been born? That's an interesting question to pose to the person who's currently called the king of the Jews, which turns out to be kind of unsettling for Herod. Like, if someone's born to be king, he's kind of coming for your throne. So it says that, that Herod was troubled. But then it says, and all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. How come all of Jerusalem is troubled with Herod? Well, because if the king ain't happy, he has a habit of killing people. And he does. Rightfully, they're, they're rightfully scared. It's just like any disruption, no matter what side you're on politically, like any disruption in the political system gets everybody a little uneasy because you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And, and so, man, they, they start wondering, and, and right, rightfully so, because later he kills all the children under two years old. And so they're scared, and they're so oh, everybody's troubled. This is not good. And so, so then the, the Herod, he's like, <clears throat> verse 3, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and uh, all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he gets the chief priests and the scribes together. Now the chief priests, they were, they were kind of, they oversaw the temple activities. They were kind of in charge of the church and everything that went on. And they were kind of the overseers there. And then the scribes, they would have been the official interpreters of the law. They would have been the experts in the law, kind of like our lawyers. And so Herod gets his advisors from the Jewish people and says, hey, hey, you got to tell me um, where the, I heard the Christ is coming. The Christ is born. Where does where is he going to be born? And they say um, he's born in Bethlehem. They're referring to a prophecy in Micah 5, 2. It's this minor prophet. And in Micah 5, 2, the prophecy is this, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. In verse 4, he talks about, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. So there we have this prophecy about the, the birth of the Messiah and they, when they're asked, they say, we know where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be a ruler who's a, who's a shepherd. Um, they really had this uh, figured out. A ruler who's a shepherd. That's also an interesting detail because um, whenever you're looking for a ruler, like, like someone to, to lead you uh, and politically, you want someone who's like mighty and you kind of want someone who's ruthless, who's going to defend you and protect you. And, but here he also adds he's ruler, but he's shepherd. Shepherd is this idea of care. And um, someone who feeds and cares for. And it's a tenderness to it. And so he is going to be a ruler. He's going to lead and protect us, but he's going to be different than the rulers that we know. He's going to be kind of like King David 
who was a shepherd and then became king. He's going to care for us in a compassionate way. He goes on in verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, what, the star, when the, what time the star had appeared. And then sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you come and found him, bring him, uh, that I may too come and worship him. How many of you think that he's like really wanting to go worship the child? Yeah, probably not. Verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest of the place the child was. So he's like, Tell me what time this star appeared. He, he's trying to gain an idea of the age of this child. How old is this kid? And uh, I'm sorry to spoil your Christmas season, but the wise men were probably not at the manger. All of our nativity scenes are one big lie. You got all these wise men holding gifts at the manger. It never happened. Never happened. These Wise men came later. They came later. And we know that they came later because a couple details just in this passage. Um, it took them a long journey to get there. So they would have been out of the manger by then. It calls Jesus a child, not an infant. Um, whenever he gets this timeline afterwards, Herod goes and kills all the children to and under. So we understand that his understanding was he was under two years old. So we have all these details that point us to the fact, oh, and it says that they came to the house or the home, not the stable. So we have all these details that point to us that the wise men came later. They're visiting child, you know, one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old Jesus. So you can just take them off, pull them out a year after Christmas. Anyways, the star came to rest over uh, the place that Jesus was. So they're following the star. <clears throat> and there's all types of speculation on what this star is. Um, is, it, is, it, is it a comet? You know, people speculate. Is this star a comet? Is it a supernova? Is it, is it a conjunction of planets that align? Like what kind of star are we trying, trying to figure out? But... But my question, like, what kind of star moves like that? You ever wonder that? Like, what kind of star is, like, leading them over here and then, like, over here and then resting over a house? That seems like a bizarre star. Like, could it be, could it just be that maybe this is almost like the glory of God leading them? You know, like in the Old Testament where the Israelites were going through the wilderness and you had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, which was the glory of God leading them and guiding them to where? What if it was something like that? Like, what if it was, appeared to be a star, but it was actually the Lord? Or maybe it was an angel? I, I truly believe that it was supernatural. It's speculation. We, we don't know. But I believe it was some supernatural phenomenon that happened that led them right where they needed to be, that guided them. And verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then open, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed on their own country by another way. And so, um, so they bring these three gifts, and everybody likes to focus on three gifts, and we might have an entire week about the three gifts, so I'm not even going to talk about the gifts today. I'm sorry, I know that's why you came today. You wanted to know what the three gifts were about. But we're not going to talk about it today, hopefully in a near sermon this season. Um, so there it is. This is the story. This is what happened, the coming of the wise men. So now we're going to shift to the application, the three points. There's three main characters that happen in here if we... If we don't count Mary and Jesus. <laughs> There's three other characters that are the main uh, focus of this passage, and that is um, you have Herod, you have uh, the chief priests, the religious people, and you have um, the wise men. And from them, we see three different responses to the signs that point to Jesus. So we understand we have this star, this sign, and these prophecies that are pointing us to uh, the, the newborn king, and we have three drastically different responses to that. So the first one is this. Revelation of Jesus can lead to agitation. Revelation of Jesus can lead to agitation. Let me understand. Revelation is just that um, something that's revealed. So there, through the star, through the prophecies, it is, Jesus has been revealed. The Messiah is on the scene. And so through the star, through the prophecies, through the scriptures, through the wise men, Jesus was revealed to them. And how does Herod respond? With agitation, with fear, with anxiety. We see that he was greatly troubled. He hears that the Savior of the world is on the scene. And he's afraid. He's worried. He's, afraid. he's afraid, rightfully, because he believes that the king, this new king, this newborn king, will take his throne. And we respond in the same way, don't we? Um, we don't want anyone else sitting on the throne of our life telling us what to do. We like the idea of following Jesus. We like the idea of a better life, a blessed life. We like the idea of going to heaven, but I'm not quite sure that I like the idea of submission. I'm not quite sure that I really want to come underneath someone and allow God to be God in my life. I don't like the idea that there's another king that I am accountable to. And that's, that's Herod's problem, and he was accountable to no one. He was king. He did whatever he wanted. He killed whoever he wanted. He had and whatever he wanted, and he was accountable to no one, and he was afraid there was going to be someone who rose up that was going to disrupt all of that. And that's one of the biggest issues in our life, that we don't want to be accountable to God either. I was just, uh, recently watching an um, interview, it was an old interview, but an interview with Richard Dawkins, famous uh, atheist, and um, they were talking about kind of the origin of life, the origin of all things, and the interviewer was kind of pressing him about the fact that um, every effect has a cause, that every effect has a cause, that um, everything cannot come from nothing. And, um, 
And so he's like, what caused everything to exist? The interviewer's pressing Dawkins here. And at first, <laughs> Dawkins said nothing. And the interviewer was like, I don't think you understand. Everything cannot come from nothing. <laughs> it's not a possibility. Where did the nothing come from? And, um, and then when pressed more, you know, he was asking him, like, just look at human life, look at the complexity of things. It seems like it all points to some sort of designer. And um, so Dawkins finally kind of was like, yeah, well, I, I can see that. That's a possibility. I can see it. There's, there's evidence. There's, he, even used the, he even used the phrase that there's a signature of a designer on life that we know. And uh, he said, yeah, it's a possibility that there is some um, civilization, alien civilization, highly intelligent that created us and kind of spun us out there and, and let us go. So yeah, so yeah, aliens, we could have come from aliens. So I was like, well, who created the aliens? Well, let's not even get into that. Dawkins is not opposed to the idea that there's a designer that originated all the life, all the, all the things that we know, all the creation that we know. He's not opposed to that. He's fine with uh, us being originated from uh, some alien civilization that is uninvolved and uninterested in our lives. What he doesn't want to admit that there is a God who is the designer who we will one day be accountable to. That there's a God who has a uh, law that our lives are going to be judged against one day. That's, that's like, it's so clear. I'm okay with there being a designer as long as there's not a designer that I'm accountable to. It's uh, startling. We don't want someone telling us how to live our lives. At the root of most unbelief, all of the arguments against Christianity and Jesus, at the root of most of those, is a heart that just doesn't want someone, namely God, telling us how to live our lives. Coming to Christ is an act of submission. That I've been playing king of my life, and um, I'm not supposed to be sitting on the throne of my life. I wasn't designed to be king of my life. So how do you know if this is you? This is Herod, this is the one it can lead to agitation. I'm irritated, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm worried. And so I reject Jesus. How do you know if this is you? You don't like anyone telling you what to do. You don't like anyone telling you what to do. You don't like anyone holding you accountable. You don't like anyone calling you on your stuff. And so you just push yourself and you distance God and you deny God because you're going to have to surrender to him if he's the king. All right, second, second response is a revelation of Jesus can lead to apathy. This is the scribes. So he, he has the, the chief priests and the scribes. These were the religious elite. 
The ones who knew the Scripture better than anyone knew the Scripture. They knew all the verses related to the Messiah. When they were asked, where will the Christ be born? They knew exactly what verse to point them to. They said, Micah 5.2. Now, how many of you have verses in Micah memorized? Probably not. Not a lot. But they did. That tells you how spiritual they were. Right? They had Micah memorized. They're like, we know we're the Messiah. They were God's chosen people who spent their lives awaiting the coming Messiah. Yet, when presented with the information that the Messiah had been born, they don't bother to check it out. Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. You have these wise men, know very little. They they. They travel long distances to come find this king of the Jews. They're not even God's chosen people. These are Gentiles. <laughs> these, these religious people, they know all of it, yet they don't even bother to go on this six-mile journey to investigate. They're interested in rules, but not the ruler. They're interested in the Scriptures, but not the Savior. They're interested in their ministry, but not the Messiah. This is a picture of knowing about Jesus, but not knowing Jesus. That um, more intellectual understanding of the person of Jesus does not save you. It's only a relationship with Jesus that saves you. Knowing Him personally. Now he says that to them uh, when he gets a little bit older. In uh, John chapter 5, and you knew I was going to bring John into this sermon, didn't you? John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40 says, Jesus speaking to these religious leaders, He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have Life. He says, you study the Scriptures, you know the Scriptures. If I just have more memorized, if I just have more Bible, like one day there's going to be a pop quiz and that's going to be what gets you into heaven. Do you know of enough Bible? He's like, you're missing the fact that the Bible is about me. That you're uninterested in knowing me. You just want to know what I said, but more than I want my kids. We raise our kids in church. And in, in God, and you're supposed to if you're a believer. The Bible says, train up your child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Like, train up your children in the Lord. We, right now, your children, if they're in kids' ministry, they're being trained in the ways of the Lord and told about Jesus, and that is all good. But I just don't want my kids to only have an understanding about Jesus, I want them to know him personally. I don't want them to just have the Bible memorized. I want them to know the author of the Bible. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Like you, you go to the Scriptures, but they're, they're pointing to me. And we can also get where we don't care, where we're apathetic, where we're uninterested in what God is doing. How do you know if this is you? You're told about Jesus and you're apathetic, uninterested. Um, you aren't moved by the gospel anymore. 
when you have a pastor get up and present the gospel of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I got that. Okay, can we move on to something else? Can you tell me something I don't know, Pastor? Like when it doesn't move you that God saved you. Um, when you aren't curious about what God's doing today. Like you're okay with just, let me just learn more Bible, but I'm not really curious about what, how God's activity in the world today. When you're content with uh, your knowledge, but it never moves your heart to action. That when your heart is just not moved by the things of God. You love to learn. Maybe you're an avid reader and uh, self-educated and learner. But your heart is just not moved by the things of God. You might be apathetic. This is, the scare, I think, one of the scariest ones because I think the Herod... Um, the one who's agitated by Jesus, I think you kind of just know he's probably not in, right? I think we all look at Herod and say, probably not saved. But, um, but the scary thing about this one is that you have all the information uh, you need to believe, but you don't. You, you, you know about him, but you don't know him personally. And so on the outside, this might look like you're saved, this might look like you're a Christian because you have all the language and all the understanding, all the Bible, but it's just, it's not doing, there's like this gap. Some call it the 18-inch gap of salvation between what you know and how it really changes your life, gets to your heart. This is the one that's scary. This is the one that's convicting. I pray that the Lord would never leave me to be apathetic about Jesus and what he's doing. All right, the third one is this. Revelation of Jesus leads to adoration. Here's the one that we want. Here, here, here's the, the prime example of how we should respond to Jesus. Um, these wise men, they didn't have all the knowledge that the scribes had, um, yet they were acting on what they knew. They were following God's uh, leading. And they knew enough to know that this child was worthy of worship. So, so they didn't have all the knowledge. But they're like, we know enough. When a star appears, we're going to follow it. It's interesting that God met them where they were, that, uh, that they were people who studied the stars. And so that's how God uh, spoke to them and used them to draw them to Jesus. And that they just did, they acted on what, the information that they had in front of them. I'm feeling God guiding me in this way. And um, it says that when they saw the child, they bowed before him and worshipped him. Verse 11. They fell down and worshipped him. Um, this is a sign of submission. So unlike Herod, who um, rejected the idea of someone else being on the throne, um, they bowed before him uh, in submission, knowing he is the king. Their hearts were captivated by God's salvation. Just, just look at it. They're, they're first, in verse uh, 1 and 2, 
The wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They went on this long journey to find him. For, for we saw the star when it arose and we have come to worship him. Their desire is to worship him. And after listening to the king, verse 9, they went on their way and behold the star uh, that they had seen when it rose went before him until it came to rest over the place the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I'm going into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's just kind of a side point. It's not in the slides, if you're taking notes, is that, <clears throat> yeah, revelation of Jesus can lead us to adoration, which that's what it should uh, do. Um, but then adoration will lead us to um, jubilation. Just trying to rhyme, that's all. Maybe jubilation is not a word you use often. But we see that where they, when they saw the star, they, with great joy, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, great joy. What, this season is supposed to be a season of great joy. It's, it's mostly filled with great stress, right? But, but it's supposed to be filled with great joy. Now, whenever you think of great joy, what do you think of? Because maybe you think of your wedding day and the, and the moment you saw your bride coming down to marry you and or, or your husband, vice versa, or whatever. But maybe it was on that wedding day that you experienced great joy. I know I did. Um, Maybe it was when you went to Disney for the first time. You went to Disney and you're like, this is a magical place. And you had exceedingly great joy. Or maybe it was on your birthday whenever someone did something very special for you and uh, you felt so loved and you had so much joy. Or maybe um, if you've had children, it was on that day that your child was born and uh, you hold your newborn child for the first time. And this warmth fills your heart that you've never experienced before. And you have, uh, you rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Cammie can tell you about when the twins were born. It was, a, it was a different experience than when Rory was born. When the twins were born, uh, as soon as they were born, I started just, they're so big, they're so big. I thought they were going to be so small, and they're so big, and they were small. They're like five pounds, but they looked so big to me. I was like, "They're so big! They're so big! Look at them!" I just kept saying that. Look at them; they're big. There was so much joy that wells up in you when you have a moment like that, and that's the type of joy that it's describing for them. Their their hearts are filled with so much joy, and that is evidence of someone who's truly converted. Whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ fills them with joy, exceedingly with great joy, when you see Jesus for who he is, the king, you joyfully worship him. And for them, and I think um, an appropriate response is that it also works its way out in giving to the Lord. That um, from the very beginning, uh, the first expression of worship that we see in the Bible uh, is when Cain and Abel uh, off, bring an offering to the Lord. That the very first expression of worship that we see in the Bible, of a worship service type thing, uh, offering, giving, generosity, giving to the Lord is part of that. And then throughout the Bible, you'll see that uh, the worship of the Lord is always 
uh, connected with a generosity towards God. And here, their worship naturally expresses itself in a generosity to God. So how do you know if this is you? Is this you? You follow God faithfully. Unlike the apathetic uh, religious people who had all their brain knowledge but weren't moved to action, these people followed the sign of God, the revelation of God, the guidance of God. They followed God faithfully, searching Him out diligently. And they worshiped God joyfully. Worshiped God joyfully. And so is that you? Do you worship God joyfully? Unlike Herod that uh, refused to bow to another king, they joyfully bowed down in submission and reverence and honor to King Jesus. And you give to God cheerfully. I mean, I don't, I don't think they felt someone twisting their arm to have them bring these gifts. They were like, we're going to see the king of the Jews. We're going to see the savior of the world. I, I want to give him something. Can I give him something? And they brought gifts. It was a natural expression, a cheerful expression. And do you, do you give to the Lord cheerfully? Um, I, just the idea is that in every area of our life, we bow before King Jesus. Is that you? Is that you? I hope it is. Uh, maybe you're in here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, um, and this isn't you. You haven't, you haven't trusted Jesus. You haven't um, known Jesus personally. This is all new to you. And maybe, uh, I don't know your past, and maybe you come from a very uh, rough background or a rough past, or maybe you've done some things, or maybe some things have been done to you, and you've experienced um, a feeling that you're not worthy to come to Jesus. Um, I would just say, based on this, no matter who you are or what you've done, you're invited to worship the king. Notice Balaam, remember Balaam with the donkey? A Gentile. Some, uh, Gentiles were considered like just unclean people, evil, wicked people. Balaam, a Gentile, prophesied the star that would lead to the king. And it was Gentiles who observed the star and followed it. The point is that God calls all people to himself. He called, his call is to the Gentile to follow Jesus, the Messiah, came as early as the star of Bethlehem. And um, how will you respond to the signs that point to Jesus as the Christ, that point to Jesus as the Son of God, that point to Jesus as the Savior of the world? It is clear. Will you respond to him today in worship, in adoration, in surrender? Will you turn from your way, your, your self-ruled king of my own life, and turn to Jesus and surrender to him as king of kings and lord of lords? You can do that today. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for... Um, that you are the king of uh, the universe, that you are the king of all things, and, um, but that you're a good king. You're one who rules uh, justly, but you shepherd and care mercifully. And so I thank you for that, Lord, that you are the best king to surrender to. And I pray today you'd convict us of where we uh, are on this kind of spectrum or 
Uh, are we agitated by Jesus and fearful, unwilling to surrender? Are we apathetic towards Jesus and just don't really care, aren't really moved, I'm good with the knowledge that I have? Are we, um, or do we actually adore Jesus? Willfully, joyfully bow down in worship and surrender. Giving you all things. Our whole lives. Father, I pray that you'd show us uh, where we need to repent and turn to you and trust you. And I pray for maybe the person here who's never trusted you, who they feel far from you, that right now your Holy Spirit working on their heart could give them the, the faith to believe in you, Jesus, to turn from their sin, from their self-ruled, self-centered life, and to turn to a Christ-ruled, Christ-centered life by just reaching out, trusting you, believing you, and that you would fill their hearts with the Holy Spirit and with joy and with peace and with new life. You'd transform our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh that would be moved by you today, I pray. In Jesus' name.